want you to picture an 18-year-old sitting in class. Maybe he's listening to his math teacher talking about differentials and functions and polynomials, and yet his mind is very far away from mathematics. His mind is on graduation. Here we are in May, so graduation is just weeks away for some of you in the room. And so picture this 18-year-old that is just dreaming of finally graduating, being able to leave Abu Dhabi, being able to leave the math teacher, being able to to leave his parents and all the rules. And and this 18-year-old just wants freedom. He wants to finally be free to go off to university. And lest it be too hard on our young adults who want freedom, there are many adults that I think, if we're honest, would say that they wish that they had the freedom to do whatever it is that they wanted to do. And if you look at a dictionary by definition, the word freedom is a state, a state of being. So freedom is a state of being free. So having the absence of constraints in choice or in action. So quite simply, according to the dictionary, freedom is having the power to act, speak, or think as one wants. So no constraints is what it means. And yet, this modern-day, pretty secular view of what freedom is really begins to affect the thinking of followers of Jesus. And we must not allow secular thoughts to impact how we think because it's a battle for the mind. And so how we think is going to impact everything about what we say and how we act and what our lives look like. And so we need to have our minds, our souls informed and fueled by God's word. We need to know what God says about freedom. And so that's today's topic that we're going to be considering this morning from God's word. What is freedom? How should we think about it? And what does God's word say about it? Please turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2 as we're continuing in our series that we've been in the last several weeks, a series in 1 Peter called Expatriate, following Jesus in a foreign land, for that is what we are. We are expatriates, yes, in Abu Dhabi, but even beyond that, spiritually, our true home is in heaven. Last week, we looked at 1 Peter chapter 2, and we're in verses 1 through 12. Today will be verses 13 through 17, continuing in the series. I want to read to you verse 9, though, to remind you of the context, because everything we'll look at in today's text is built upon what we looked at in God's Word last week. So again, 1 Peter 2, verse 9, just to remind you. God's Word says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Amen. We belong to God. We have experienced his mercy. We who are sinners and deserve nothing but his holy wrath and judgment and condemnation, we who deserve that have received quite the opposite. We receive his grace and his love and mercy, and we've been transformed from the inside out where we no longer live in darkness. He says, now you live in light, and now you know God and you belong to him, and you have this joy of 
being reconciled to God the Father through the Son, Jesus, indwelt by His Spirit. And so all of these remarkable blessings that we don't deserve, could not earn, and yet it's for a purpose. He says that we do it so that we can proclaim the excellencies of Him who took us out of darkness and put us into light. And so everything that we're about to see in this next paragraph, this next section really, is built upon that premise that we have received mercy for the mission, that we are to proclaim that our lives are to be a display of the very glory of God. So how we live matters. Let's keep reading. Next paragraph, today's text. First Peter chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Amen. This paragraph is part of an entire section. So here in 1 Peter 2, verse 13, all the way through chapter 3, verse 12, in the middle of this letter, that is one section that's describing how this gospel that has transformed us in knowing God impacts every area of our lives. And so we'll see today it impacts the authority that we're under. We'll see next week it even impacts the workplace. We'll see how it even impacts our marriages. And so we're going to see many different areas of life. It impacts church life and with our unity. And so all of society, all of life is designed to be a display of God's glory to the world. And so we're going to begin the section by looking at this one paragraph as we begin the section and continue in this series. Now, this, this sermon is titled, Slaves of God, a Display of God's Glory. And as we begin considering this being a slave of God from this text, let me give you the primary truth. Because what we want most as God's people is to submit ourselves to his authority. And his authority is revealed in God's word. And so anytime any preacher, whether it's myself or anyone else that is proclaiming God's word in the assembly, it must be from God's word. And if it's not, then you must reject it. And so we must submit ourselves to God's authority in his word. And so the primary truth that we're seeing, the main idea from this text is that submitting yourself to God's authority leads to honoring God and honoring others. So we're seeing this paragraph is, again, that when we submit ourselves to God's authority, what it does, it leads us, to enables us to then honor him and also honor others. Love God, love others, the great commandment. And so our church, just as a point of reference as we begin looking at this text, our church does not exist just so that we as expats from different countries can come here and kind of have a taste of home. It's not like we gather just so that we can sing songs that are familiar to us, so that we can be more at home while we suffer in Abu Dhabi for our two-year contract. It's not like we, we have a church so that our children can have Sunday school on a Friday. 
It's not so that we can come in here just riveting, inspiring sermons on a Friday morning, right? No, no. We don't come to do church. That's not what it is. The church is the assembly, the gathering, the ones called out of the world to know God, to enjoy him, to belong to him for a purpose, to proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. That is why we are here. And all the other things on the children's ministry and the youth ministry and our, our home groups and discipleship groups and the preaching and the music and everything else are all just what we do. They're means to the end of accomplishing the mission, which is to glorify God by making and developing disciples. That is why we are here. And you are in Abu Dhabi for a mission. You may have come for work, but it's much bigger than that. You're here for a mission. And God brought you here on purpose, and we're thankful that you're here. And for us to be successful as a faith family, to accomplish this glorious mission given to us by our master Jesus, we have to learn this lesson of submission to God, this lesson of submitting ourselves to God's authority. So here's the plan for our time together. We're going to look at this primary truth, this main idea, one clause at a time, so one step at a time, and there's three steps. And so let's begin with the first part of the main idea, which is submitting yourself to God's authority. So number one, let's talk here from the text on submitting ourselves to God's authority. We see it in the first two verses, verses 13 and 14. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. So we're seeing here submission to God's authority. So God is calling through the inspiration of his spirit, through the author, Apostle Peter, he says, be subject, be submissive to, he says, every human institution, whether emperor or to the governors. Why? Why are believers in Jesus called to submit ourselves to the government? Remember the context. We just read it a second ago, verses 9 through 11, the same, same section here, just previous paragraph. You're a chosen race. You're a holy nation. You're a people for God's own possession. And then verse 11, we are sojourners and exiles, expatriates, so to speak. This world is not our home. And so some people have thought, well, what this means is that what we as Christians should do is we should withdraw from culture. Christians should leave culture because we're, we're God's nation, we're God's holy people, we're set apart. And so the application is that we should create separate Christian communities that are not part of the political or of the social structures of this world. And the question is, is that true? Well, let's think for a moment. We've been seeing here in 1 Peter the last few weeks that we have two citizenships. You are a citizen of a particular country. Now, some of you have dual citizenships, so it's actually, I guess, three citizenships. But most of us only have one nationality here on earth. And so I'm from the, I'm from the Republic of Texas, the, the country of Texas. <laughs> that, that's where I'm from. I'm not American. That's very secondary. I'm from Texas. And so that's my nationality. That's my identity. 
Some of you are from many other parts of the world, and you have a nationality. And so you are a citizen, and you have an earthly citizenship. But we also have a heavenly citizenship. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you have repented and trusted with your whole heart for Jesus to save you because he died on the cross for you, if you are a disciple of Jesus and you have an eternal citizenship that is much more important than your earthly one, because it's just that, eternal. It's going to last forever. We're citizens of heaven, and that is our identity far more than being American or South African or Canadian or Filipino or name a country. It's far more significant, and we define ourselves, our identity is wrapped up in our heavenly citizenship. And so you're thinking, okay, so we have these two citizenships, and so our, our allegiance, first and foremost, is to the kingdom of God, which is the kingdom of heaven. So our primary allegiance is to God's kingdom. This world is not our home. And so our allegiance is not, first and foremost, to any geopolitical structure of this world. But we are still called to live in a particular government and in a particular geopolitical social structure in this world. You're still called to live in the world, but not be of it. And so we must engage in our culture. Because how can you reach people if you're exclusively set aside in a Christian community where you never even know a lost person? It's better. It's better that we engage in our culture and that you work with lost people that sometimes are difficult, that's better. So that you can proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And so we are not called in First Peter in the Bible, we are not called to retreat, run away from culture. We're called to do the opposite, to live in a particular geopolitical social structure. That's what we're called to. And to shine for Jesus in the middle of it as our hearts have our allegiance to the kingdom of heaven and yet living in the kingdoms of this world. And so we submit ourselves, he says here in verse 13, submit ourselves to every human institution, even to the emperor. And so we are called to submit ourselves as we live in particular government contexts. So we submit ourselves to human leaders. Why? Why should we do that? He says in verse 13, for the Lord's sake. We're called to submit to institutions of this world for the Lord's sake because of the authority of God. So what is at stake with our submission to the ruling authorities of this world? You know what's at stake? Nothing less than the glory of God. God's glory being displayed is what's at stake. And here's why. God has ultimate authority. He is the creator. He is the king. He is the sovereign. He is the authority. And we can then look at human rulers, presidents, governors, sheikhs, whomever. We can look at human rulers and we can say to the human rulers, I submit to you. Human ruler, I will honor 
you. But not for your sake, human ruler. I submit and I obey and I will honor you for God's sake, for the sake of my Lord. Because I believe that the Bible reveals very clearly that our God who is sovereign, he raises up rulers. He raises up nations and governments and he allows them to exist for a limited time. So every government official has been given leadership by God. And even the most evil and even the ones who refuse to acknowledge that God exists or the ones who claim it but their lives don't show it, the human rulers that the way they rule is corrupted and don't acknowledge a God in heaven, even those corrupted rulers are put there by God for his purposes. And we are called to submit to them for God's sake. We are called to submit to those over us, to every kingdom of this world, and we do it for the sake of the gospel. There is a higher submission, which is that of to God. And so we obeyed the speed limit, right? Sort of. We obey the speed limit. Why? Because there's cameras everywhere. We obey the speed limit because, because it'll take my picture, and then, and then maybe I'll get a whole bunch of fines, like my first year here. I didn't know what I was doing. And I got five tickets all by the airport, all five of them. And so when I go to register my car the next year, I had a pretty hefty fine to pay. And so I learned to obey this posted speed limit. And it was actually challenging. And I know it's not just me. Confession time, right? But why do we obey the speed limit? It ought not be because I'll get tickets. We should obey the speed limit for the sake of God. And what about those of us? I know a lot of people in this, in this context don't pay taxes. Um, Americans still do, believe it or not. We still pay taxes. And so even living here, yeah, it's awesome. So why do I not lie and cheat on my taxes? The IRS in the U.S. has no idea how much I make. I get paid cash. I could put whatever I want on my tax return, and the U.S. would have no way to have any idea how much I actually earn. And yet, I report every dirham and pay the taxes. Why? So that I don't get caught? No. For the sake of God. I submit to authority. We respect and we honor the UAE government for the sake of God. And so for believers, all of life is an act of worship. All of life, everything. We are showing that we treasure Jesus more. And we want his presence and we don't want any sin to cloud his spirit's presence in our lives. And because we want Jesus more, and we want to be more like him and to display his glory more accurately and better because of that, because of God, God for God's sake, we submit as an act of worship. Our attitude towards government matters. Verse 14 describes the role of government very briefly, but so profound. It says the, the government's role is to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. So the Bible even talks about what governments ought to be doing. 
they ought to maintain order. A government is designed to govern by maintaining law and order and to restrain evil. And so the human heart, all of our hearts are so corrupted that God in his grace and his wisdom has allowed there and raised up governments with things like police and military and all of these things are not evil. It is one way that God restrains human evil. And so government is good. But sadly, no government ever lives up to God's design. No government completely punishes evil and praises those who do good. Every government is corrupted, and we all know this well. By the way, it's not just your home country. It's all of our home countries have corrupted governments. Are we surprised by this? We shouldn't be. Because who runs the government? People. And what's wrong with people? We're sinners. We're corrupted. Every one of us is corrupted. And so, of course, what we put our hands to is going to be equally corrupted. Which is why when you have people in office who love Jesus, that have been transformed by his spirit, and who want to display God, typically they should be the ones that rule the best. Because they have a higher allegiance to God. And they want to bless others because of the gospel. Because God has been good to them. They want to bless others. And so, yes, it's not a bad thing to want to put people in office that are believers. But to think that we're going to have some sort of a theocracy or a Christian nation or Christian government is not going to happen until Jesus comes back. And then, then we will see the true king ruling and everyone bowing down, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and we will have then a perfect world with the perfect king, with perfect people who will be resurrected from the dead with no more sin. But that's not yet. That hasn't happened yet. And so we keep following Jesus in this foreign land. Governments, even the ones that are corrupt, still prevent anarchy. And so even the governments that, which all of them are, fail and are corrupted, still have their role, even in this fallen world. And you're thinking, you don't know, Pastor, my home country, it is anarchy. It's horrible where I'm from. And it's, it's lawless and it's chaos and there's, it's just terrible and it's so corrupted. It is. I'm not denying I don't minimize that. And a lot of you have left your home countries because it is very corrupted and work is impossible and, and your country has been in some ways stolen from you. And so this particular message is a very difficult one. And I, I say this with the most compassion that I possibly can. It's that God knows. He sees that injustice. And he will make all things right. But between now and on that day, when the ultimate judge reconciles all things, you must not find your identity in your home country. It must be bigger than that. Find your identity in your heavenly citizenship. And praise God that you're here. And if he calls you back to your home country, then you trust him and in his grace. And the reality is this. Nations rise and nations 
fall. None of them last forever. And God is even sovereign over that. So our hope, our trust is not in human institutions or in human government. Our hope is in Jesus. Our identity is in him and on the future rule that will be seen by all. Until that day, we continue every day to live under the authority of King Jesus. And so we want to be, as I mentioned earlier, under the authority of God's word, which is why in every worship gathering, we read God's word, which is why we sing his word, why we even pray his word, and why we listen to his word preached. And that's why we hear his word. And then we obey his word because in doing so, we're acknowledging, Jesus, you are king. And we, we are desperate for you and we want you to rule us because when we, we rule ourselves, we mess it up. And so a rebellious attitude towards human authority is a sign of rebellion against the ultimate authority. If you find yourself rebelling against the authority over you, humanly speaking, then you have to really analyze and ask yourself, what's going on inside of me? Where, where am I being rebellious to God and heirs of my life? It's a red flag. We need to learn to submit to God's authority, which is why we discipline our children. Our church this is remarkable how we can have a couple hundred adults and a hundred kids it's amazing, a two-to-one ratio. It really is very humbling. A lot of you are young parents. So you know this firsthand, that you have to discipline your children. Teach your children that God is the authority. Don't, can I just ask you, this is just kind of a sidebar for a second. Don't ever say the phrase, because I say so. And if you use it, I want to lovingly challenge you never to use it again. You should teach your children to obey, not because you say so, because God says so. God is the authority. You, as a parent, represent God to your children. But the authority is God. And the day will come when your child will be a young adult and will leave your home, and they will have to learn to obey God, not because you say so, but because God is God. And so you teach your children to obey mommy and daddy because mommy and daddy represent God to you. When you obey mommy and daddy, you're obeying God in heaven. When you disobey mommy and daddy, you're disobeying God because we are here to represent God to you until you're an adult. And then I'm no longer in the middle. Now it's you and God. And sometimes his discipline is much harder than your parents' discipline and much deeper and more painful. But because he loves you, he disciplines you. And so parents, when your children disobey, do not turn the blind eye. I know what you do. I know you're tired. I know you get home from work and you're tired and your child is misbehaving and you don't even have the energy. You're like, oh, I don't want to address that. Guess how I know? I've been there. We can't do that. We can't. We can't be lazy as parents. We have to take the initiative to teach them, to discipline them with love so that they will learn to submit to authority, to respond to the gospel when they're older. Because rebellious children grow to be rebellious teenagers. 
and being rebellious. Teenagers are going to be rebellious. Adults who have no love for God or for his authority. And so as God's people, what we do is we have received mercy. We're part of God's kingdom. And so we recognize and we treasure and we gladly, joyfully submit ourselves to the authority of God. So we're submitting ourselves to God's authority. Number two, leads to honoring God. So number one, we talk about submitting ourselves to God's authority. Number two, it leads to honoring God, verses 15 and 16. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people, living as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. And so this is the will of God. It is God's will that we submit ourselves to human authorities. It displays his goodness and his righteous character to the world. And so through our lives, people see who God is. And it says that foolish people are silenced. And so people that would deny God or would slander us or slander God or deny his word. Foolish people, because the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And so foolish people, it says, are silenced when they see you doing good. When we live lives that reflect the character of God, the opposition is silenced. And verse 16 is fascinating. It just it blew me away this week studying it. He says that we're called, listen carefully, to live as people who are free. So in verse 16, we're called to live like we're free. So he says, live like you're not slaves. You're not slaves. Live like you're free. And then in the same verse, he says, oh, but live as slaves of God. You're thinking, what? Uh, Wait a second, what do you mean? Now, the ESV I'm reading from says servants of God, but that word is bond servant, which really is slave. And some translations capture a little bit better and say bond slave or it just says slave. Because in verse 16, where he says, but living as servants of God, that word is slaves of God. So he says, live like you're free, live like you're not a slave, but be a slave of God. Confused yet? Some of you are. That's okay. That's why we're here together, and and we'll look at this. This is important. Here's the problem with our thinking. We bring secular thinking of freedom into our thinking here in the church, and we must not do that. We define our terms by the Bible, what God reveals. You see, we think of freedom a lot of times, like the word freedom, and what we really want is complete autonomy. We want complete independence. We want no limits on our freedom. And so some people will say, I want freedom. But what they want is to be self-centered and self-indulgent and to satisfy themselves. And they want autonomy and independence from God and do whatever they want with no one to tell them otherwise. And we think that's freedom because our world tells us that's freedom. And yet, if we're honest with ourselves, what we really want is in verse 16. We want to use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Under the name of freedom, Many people want to simply pursue idols and dishonor God. And so I'll learn, I have Christian freedom. God's forgiven me. I am free. And so now I can live however 
I want. That kind of thinking shows that that person has not truly grasped the meaning of being taken out of the kingdom of darkness and put into his marvelous light. Do not understand what the Spirit does and how profound the gospel is supposed to impact our lives. I want you to think back to Israel in Egypt, suffering in slavery under the king, Pharaoh. And in chapter 4, verse 23, God, through the prophet Moses, tells the evil king, let my son go. He calls Israel his children. He says, let my people go. Let them be free from slavery. Let my people stop serving you, Pharaoh. And you you know why? It's awesome. So that they can come serve me. And so he says, stop serving Pharaoh so that you can come serve me. Stop being a slave to Pharaoh. Come be my slave. So God's people are set free so that they can serve God. That's why we're set free. You and I will never have no authority over us. It's just not possible. There will always be authority over you. You are not God. You are created, not creator. We will never have absolute freedom to do whatever we want. And even if we think that we do, all we're doing is getting more enslaved to our sin. Because as humans, you and I have been created to serve. You and I are servants. We will serve a master, period. The the question is not, will I serve? You will. We all do. The question is, who will you serve? Do you want freedom? I mean, real. Do you truly want freedom? Be a slave of God. If you want freedom, you have to be a slave of God. This is the paradox of following Jesus. We read earlier in the worship gathering from Luke 4 how Jesus has come to set captives free and how there's no more oppression through his death on the cross. He paid the price as a substitute. He's broken the power of sin. So now we have freedom from sin. And so here's the key. True freedom is having freedom from our sinful desires, freedom from what is natural to us, which is to be enslaved to sin. Freedom in Christ is freedom to serve him, freedom to enjoy God, freedom, freedom from the oppression of sin and the freedom to truly know and enjoy and serve God so that his spirit then changes your heart so that you want to, not have to, this is a big difference, he changes so that you want to serve him. Your your desire is to please God him so we can enjoy his presence but what you were made for we were made for God's glory we were made to serve him freedom from God is a life of misery 
and slavery to sin. And yet, slavery to God is joy. Because that's what we were made for. We were made to know him and to serve him, to find our pleasure in him. Submitting to God's authority leads to joy because it's good for us. Because we can display his glory. We can live for our eternal purpose. And it's a battle for the mind. You can't say this enough. What you think, what you're reading, how often you're reading God's word and feeding your soul from it and praying and doing so in community is the only way to be empowered by a spirit, to be submissive to King Jesus. And so submitting yourself to God's authority leads to then honoring God with how you live as you close number three and honoring others. You honor God and others. Verse 17. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. So he says, honor everyone. This is all people. Every human deserves your respect. If they're a human, you respect them, period. Wherever they're from, whatever they look like, how annoying they are, it doesn't matter. If they're a human, you honor them, you respect them. Love the brotherhood. Here's a progression. Now, people in the church, brothers and sisters, a particular, more special, more intimate love for them, he says, fear God, irreverent worship. So worship God. You honor others, but your loyalty, your worship is ultimately to God. And desire to reflect his glory is what motivates us to, as we enjoy him. Last, he says, honor the emperor. So we come kind of full circle how we began, honoring the emperor. Now, he doesn't say fear him. He doesn't say worship him. You respect him, but your allegiance is first and foremost to God. And so we're called to serve. We're called to be living servants of God. By the way, remember the context. They're suffering persecution. So in the face of hostility, we serve. Because we're slaves of God. After all, that's who we are. So let me ask you a question as we kind of wind things down for a closing. Are you serving? Because we're called to serve the church and serve the world. Are you serving in the church? Are you, are you contributing so that this body is healthy? Or are, are you not playing a role in building up this body? I can tell you that come September, every September, I mean, it's funny, in July, everyone leaves, you know, it's a summer exodus, but then September, everyone comes back and brings a lot of people with them because people come as well. And so come September, we're going to need more parents to be engaged in teaching our children. And if you're a parent and you, and you have your kids in the, in the kids' ministry, we expect you to teach. It's for your own benefit, but you're building up the body as well. We need more people to teach, and men especially. We need godly examples of men. We need more home group leaders. A lot of you are leaders. You've led in the past. You're solid in your faith. You have the experience, and you come here, and you're just kind of soaking it in. It's time to experience the joy of serving, and there really is joy in it. Are you really serving the church and serving the world? Who are you being intentional with, neighbors and friends, so that you can proclaim the excellencies of him who brought you out of darkness into his marvelous light? You know what we are, the church? We're a colony of heaven. That's what we are. 
our church should reflect heaven. Why? Because in heaven, everyone and everything is subject to God's authority. In heaven, everyone and everything is displaying God's glory. And the church should be a picture of that. Yes, imperfect as she may be on this side of heaven. And yet, we're to be a church that shows the world what it's going to be like. People who love each other and serve each other and are submitted to the king and want others to know him as well. Are you among that community? Have you repented and trusted in Jesus? Are you really a follower of Jesus or are you just playing games? If you've never repented and trusted him, you can do so today and he'll save you. And if you are a believer, are you a living servant of God? Are we living this out? May we be slaves of God so that we can display his glory. You pray with me. Father, we thank you for giving us the opportunity to read in your word and to be challenged and encouraged by it. We pray that you would bless this moment now as we move into communion and partake of your table. Pray that you would just bless this time and we'd be encouraged and fueled truly live for you as a living servants of you, our living God. And we pray in the name of our King Jesus. Amen.